Good morning. Welcome to Living Hope. Those of us who are joining us here in the room and online, welcome. We're glad that you are here. We'd like to begin our services with a greeting that Christians have been using for a long, long time. The Lord be with you. Thank you. We believe that's true and that the Lord meets us here as we gather to worship him. Let's bow our heads and pray to him as we begin. Thank you, God, for being here with us. Thank you for the sunshine and all the ways that you've, you've brought us to this room. We come from all different walks of life, all different places, backgrounds, and yet you're here with us. We've all gathered here with you to, to, to serve you and to praise your name and to continue to ask your blessing over us. Be with us as we begin your service. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're willing and able, we ask you to stand and join us in worshiping God. You're the only one who can 
turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Lord, there's nothing. No, nothing is better than you. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. Oh, you're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. Oh, you're the only one who can. Amen. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Psalm 13.6 says, I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being.
is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. God is good because he loves us and wants what's best for us. His goodness is demonstrated through his actions towards us. In fact, we see the evidence of God's goodness every day. We see it in the sun rising each morning, in the rain falling from the sky, and in the flowers blooming in our gardens. We thank God for every good gift we receive from him. God is a gracious father, giving good gifts to his children. These gifts include healing, protection, So many other blessings. God has given us so much more than we deserve. He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, and he raised him from the dead. This means we no longer have to fear sin or death. Instead, we can live with confidence knowing that God will take care of us. The following Bible verses about God's goodness today will remind us that we serve a loving and kind Father who is faithful to provide for his children in their time of need. Dear Heavenly Father, you are good. You are so good, and that's why we are here today. We are here to worship you. We're here to adore you. The grace and the kindness that you show us in our darkest moments, in the ups and the downs of life. You are with us always, the great Emmanuel, when we go to work, when we have difficulties in our families. When we feel hopeless, you fill us with hope. Your Holy, your Holy Spirit springs upon us, changes us, gives us direction, lets us know that there is nowhere we could go that you would not be with us. And we have this hope. We have this hope in you by the power of the resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that you are here with us. We thank you for this place that you have given us, that we can come together as a family that we can care for everyone that comes here, that there is no one here that does not matter. You have given this church to the least of these, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the mission of this church, the fact that we reach out to, to everyone that is in need that we can, that we do so many things here that do not benefit us directly, but benefit the kingdom. You have given us a great pastor who has taught us to value the kingdom above all things. And so we do. We thank you for that. We just uh, pray that you be with Pastor Rich and Pastor Judy as they are away this week. And we just pray that you be with Pastor Duane as he gives us the message. Uh, open the eyes of our hearts on this Sunday morning. We thank you and we praise your name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, well, let's uh, take a few minutes to greet each other and pass the peace of Christ. All right. Well, we're just going to do a few announcements before we get started. Um, so go ahead and feel free to go to livinghopeinfo slash connect or livinginfo uh, slash give. Or you can uh, use the box back there if you're a guest so we can have your contact information. Uh, we have a few really cool things uh, that this church is a part of. One is World Vision. The Global 6K, this is amazing because it helps people get water. Uh, Pastor Rich is really, really involved with it, and he runs lots and lots of miles. And he even got me there, and I beat everyone that didn't finish that day. So it was great. 
but it does remind us how difficult it is for some people to get water, how they have to walk so far just to get it. So to be a part of that, uh, you know, you, you get a well and your donations and your work puts a well right in the middle of a village so some uh, young lady or young man doesn't have to walk really, really far. So it really changes their life. So it's just a great, great cause. Another is the crisis care kit. So in between the services on Sunday, April 16th, we're going to be assembling them. And what's really great about them is it has like toothpaste and and bandages and even a little doll for people. Uh, when you're in a place that has a tragedy of you know, an earthquake or something like that, people need stuff just to get by. And so we come together as a church and we assemble it together and we give it to the denomination and they have it ready in case something bad happens. So it's a really, really, really great cause. Um, uh, we have a treat today. Uh, you guys know Pastor Rich Schmidt, our, our guy. Well, we have the original version today. His dad, Pastor Dwayne, he's going to be uh, giving the message today, so uh, it's, it's going to be awesome. So, thank you. Yes, sir. Well, it's good to be here with you. And uh, March Madness. As of last night, I had two teams left. Now I'm down to one. Texas, of all times, I'd ever thought I'd holler for Texas to win a game. It's today. That's the only person I got left that can win. But anyway, been interesting. They call it March Madness for a reason. It's kind of maddening. And, and you know, it's kind of interesting how life is the same way. We think we have it figured out, and next thing you know, what happens? That was happening back years ago. There was a man by the name of Jesse. Jesse had a bunch of sons. Three of them ended up in the military on the front lines. Kind of interesting. Back in those days, if you were in the military, uh, you needed to have somebody bring you food. They didn't have the chuck wagon or anything else or K-rations or whatever they had. They know that you had to go take them food. And he had three sons on the front line. So he asked his youngest son, David, said, David, I need you to go take some food to your brothers that are in the army. And so David does. And when he gets there, he finds out there's something quite interesting. This is before the day of social media. He wasn't sure about it, and he arrives, and lo and behold, there's a standoff. On this side up here, going up the hill, is the Israelite army, and his brothers are down close at the valley. On the other side over here, on the western side of Palestine, were the Philistines. Now, the Philistines, um, let me tell you something. They were the iron people of the day. I mean, that was their, and they had their army really decked out. I mean, they had armed shields, they had armor on. Uh, they were really, they, and, and the reason they were on the hill, they, they wanted to come down the hill to fight. Because they knew if they went up the hill, some of them had 200 pounds of armor on, and they knew they'd be out of energy before they ever got through the, you know, first block going uphill. So they were kind of teasing the other army to come over this way. And so don't you know it? As David comes into there, he gets there just as the time that Goliath is making his challenge. He'd do it every morning and every evening, the Bible says. And he would say, um, all right, there's no reason for us to go to battle and lose a lot of people. I tell you what, you find one of your warriors, he'll come and fight me. And if you win, guess what? We'll be your slaves, your servants forever. But if I win... You'll all be our slaves, our servants forever. And David hears this, 
I think, well, that's pretty simple. Why didn't somebody go fight him? Instead, they're all down there kind of quivering and shaking in their boots. They had a good reason. They figured Goliath was nine foot, nine and a half inches high, weighed 438 pounds. He had another 200 pounds of armor on him. They said his spear alone was 25 pounds. You know, that's pretty scary. And so David says, well, why on earth isn't somebody doing it? And he has this brother, Eliab. He had all three brothers. I tell you, if you'd have named your brother or your, your kids, one of your sons, after either one of these three guys, nobody else would have ever had their name. Eliab was one. And uh, Abinadab was another. And Shema was the third. Great names. Couldn't figure out why Richard Stacey didn't pick one. You know, like Abinadab? You can just hear it on the news now. And there goes Abinadab, Shemek, running for a touchdown. Abinadab who? Now they pick David and Jonathan. But that's okay. You know, and Eliab says, oh, come on. You're just a shepherd boy. You're trying to tell one of these people to go fight that guy. You're just a shepherd boy. You got peach fuzz on. You're just a teenager. What are you thinking of anyway? Get out of here. You're out of food. Go on home. And you know what David did? The Bible tells us he just turned his back on the lip, went over to another group of soldiers over here, and he said, hey, come on, why doesn't somebody fight this guy? And they're all quaking in the boots. Have you seen what size he is? We don't have a chance. And David's thinking, what do you mean you don't have a chance? I'm my dad's shepherd of his whole flock of sheep, and I have protected them. If there's a lion coming after him, I get between the lion and the lamb, and I take care of him with my slingshot. They claim it was like a Colt 45. It traveled 200 foot a second. When he'd just let that rock go, it'd go right through a skull. It'd kill that lion. It'd kill that bear. He says, have you ever seen a lion charge? Have you ever seen a bear come at you? Not like this big old lumbering giant. And he's got the perfect spot to hit him. The one place has no armors right here where he's looking out. Be a piece of cake. Well, Saul hears about this. Saul calls David. Now, Saul is six foot eight inches. If there's anybody, anywhere, that should be fighting Goliath, it's Saul. But all of a sudden, Saul has poor posture. I'm only five foot eight. No six foot eight. I can't do that. And he sort of brings in David. David. What's this out here? You want to fight Goliath? And so David tells him, well, you know, I've taken out the lion. I've taken out the bear. And, you know, no big deal. I can do it. So, well, tell you what. Maybe you better put on some of my stuff. You ought to put on some armor. David puts it on. He said, man, this is terrible. You can't even move with this stuff on. I don't need to. I can't fight with this. So he takes it all off. He says, I'm going to fight him the way it is. This guy is taking the Lord's name in vain, and, and, and the army of the Lord is just over here shaking, and they shouldn't be. If God's protected me from a lion and a bear, he can protect me from the enemy, whoever he is. So the Bible says he goes down. He picks up five smooth stones. He gets them. Somebody said, why five? And Later on, he talks about Goliath having some brothers, so he thought maybe he'd have to fight more than one. Who knows? But he gets his stones. He goes up. Goliath sees him coming. 
And Goliath's kind of laughing at him. And before he could quit laughing, David had that slingshot going. And they claimed he would go th within 30 feet. He could split a hair from stuff they found with slingshots. They were, you could really be accurate with those. And he's about, they figured he was 60 foot away. About from the pitcher's mound to the catcher. Now, if that thing is traveling 200 foot a second, Goliath only had about a third of a second before, boom, he was down. Now, think about this. You know why God was able to use David? I'll tell you why. He had quite the qualities, and we're going to look at it this morning. I mean, one quality he had was discipline. He'd do what none of his brothers would do. He'd go out there, and, and he'd protect his father's flock. He was disciplined. He would do it. He'd take the least like job and do it. And, of course, he had endurance. And, of course, he had courage. But the one thing he really had was vision. Let me tell you what vision is. It says in your notes that vision is the God-given ability to see the unseen. Now, think about that. It's seeing the transparent through the apparent. Uh, and I'll get to that a little bit later. But you see, God wants all of us to be great visionaries. He has a reason for you still breathing air this morning. And it doesn't just come to, to, to church and sit and then go do a job or sit at home. He has a reason for you and me being alive. He's not finished with us yet. He's working on us. And he has a reason for us being where we are. I mean, just think about it. I'm 75. And if God were to take me to heaven tonight and say, Dwayne, look at this. I'm going to give you another 20 years and hear what you're going to accomplish. I'd probably be just like, oh, you got to be kidding. I'm 75. How could that happen? What kind of a vision does God have for my life? Whatever, how much time I have left. Or my marriage. Or my relationships. Or maybe if you're working over in your career. What about it? How do we increase our vision? How do we get to know what God's vision is for us? And those are good questions. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel 17 this morning just to try to see some principles about what do we, can we learn about vision. And the first thing is this. Number one in your notes is this. Vision takes hold in the obscure. That's when it really takes hold. That's when it really takes root. That really, really goes to work in your life. Now think of David. You know he'd spent the previous 15, 16, 18 years of his life out in the wilderness getting to know God. Believe you me, if you're out there with a bunch of sheep and a lion comes at you, you get to know God pretty quick, don't you? God, you got to help protect me from this guy. Oh, man. Let me tell you something. He was out in the obscure. Nobody knew what he was doing. But because he got to know God, we have a lot of our Bible today in this book of Psalms because he'd write things down. Later on, when he became king, he was such a military genius that they studied his maneuvers in West Point for years. They claim he had an IQ probably of at least 150. He had the musical talent of a Chopin. He learned, he taught himself how to play a harp, made his own harp, and he did it. And later on, he played for the King Saul. And I'm sure David's out there, you know, but he never questioned God. He didn't say, what's the big deal, God? My dumb brothers back at home can watch these sheep. 
I'm the one with the brain. I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm the genius. I'm the guy that can, has all the musical talent and all the others. Why, why am I here? He didn't do that. See, David knew God was preparing him for something. He just didn't know what. So he's taking advantage of every year God gives him out there in the wilderness, learning to know God and how God works and how God can lead us and guide us and direct us to even help find grass for the sheep. And then when a lion came and attacked the flock, he killed the lion. If a bear came, he killed the bear. It didn't show up on social media. It didn't show up in the newspapers. It didn't show up anywhere. Only him and God knew about it. He was in the obscure. See, he was by himself, and God always gives his vision to us, usually, in the obscure, in the private. Sometimes in the middle of the night when you wake up. And it's there. He tests us. He, he gives us conflict in the private. And then he promotes us to the public arena. It says there in your notes that a faith that has never been tested. What does it say? Is a faith that can never be trusted. Whoa. Here's our problem. We live in the instamatic era of where we want everything right now, don't we? I especially see it with young people. It's amazing to me how, uh, you know, people would come to me and have a marital problem. They wanted it fixed right now, so when we leave, it's done. No, you've got to work at this. You've got to, here's what you need to do, and I give them stuff to do. We want instant spiritual maturity. We don't have to be, we don't want to be tested. Big kids nowadays, they want to be a millionaire, millionaire tomorrow. They don't want to wait 30 years and work their way up. They want to run the company right now. We don't want to wait for a baked potato in the oven. We want the microwave to do it in three minutes. Not 30. Instamatic. David didn't try to take the shortcut from the pasture to the palace. He took his time as God brought him along. But we say, I don't want to face a Goliath. I don't want to pay my dues on the hillside with a bunch of smelly sheep. Hey, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get to God no personally because I have to because I've got problems. Oh, yes, you will. We all have our giants that we've got to face in life. Maybe you're saying, well, I take care of four toddlers. You know, surely it doesn't matter. You know, and I, oh, yes. God knows exactly where you are and what you're doing and the lives that you are molding. Never forget, she came to see me and she said, I, don't, I can't imagine what God would want to do with me. I just work in Chicago. She'd take the South Shore every day. She worked in the mailroom of a big company. She says, how's God going to use me in the mailroom? I said, God is teaching you something in the mailroom you're going to use later. You see, God's placed you where you are in the obscure. He's hammering his vision into your life. And if you remain faithful and stay humble... Keep trusting God and understand it's by the grace of God I'm where I am. He'll take your vision and multiply it and promote you in a phenomenal way by his timing, by his grace. Now, Jesus used this as an illustration one time there in Matthew 25 in your notes. He says, you are a good and faithful servant. I left you in charge of one little, but now I'll put you in charge of much more. Come and share in my happiness. Now to tell you, just to give you a personal example about it, let's just take a look at my life. I grew up on a farm out in western Kansas. It's half desert. 
I was 18 or 19 years of age. I wanted to be, I, I, I had a speech problem as a kid. My three sisters didn't, but I did. And so I had to go to a speech therapist and finally my family could understand me. And I didn't like to be around people because they'd laugh when I tried to talk or stutter or whatever. So I, you know, I just, so I wanted to be a farmer. But I realized if I was going to make money as a farmer, I could either pay somebody to come in and test my soil samples, see what kind of fertilizer I need or what I'm short of and what I can need and all that, or I could go to school and learn it and do it myself and save all that money. And so I was kind of greedy, so I thought I'll do that's what I'm going to do. So I ended up at an agriculture school. It was a branch of uh, Oklahoma State University in a little place called Goodwill, Oklahoma. 849 people. And at least 500 of them were college students at the little college. A lot of them were cowboys. In fact, some of them were there on horse scholarships. They brought their horses. They did rodeoing and stuff. And, and uh, it, was pretty, it, was, it was really an eye-opener for me around these people that didn't have a clue who God was, really. Just off the farm, just off the ranch. Some from Texas Panhandle, Oklahoma Panhandle. It was in the Panhandle of Oklahoma in this little town where I'd go to class, and I learned more from those people. They could chew tobacco and not spit for a whole hour in class. I couldn't figure out how they could do it. <laughs> They'd even ask questions. I think, how can you do that? You know? But they did. It was amazing. And I got to thinking, you know, this is really quite the group of people. I got to know some of them. I wanted to get to know what is it like on the other side. I was raised in a Christian home. I went to church. I wanted to know what is it like with being around a bunch of hellbound people. So I began to rub shoulders with people that were off the charts. I didn't realize God was teaching me for something later. But I knew he wanted me there. And so I'm doing it. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm there. they were skirt chasing, cocaine snorting, tobacco chewing off the edge and all this kind of stuff, close to Christian type people. And, and it was hard if, I, if, I, if they found out I believed in God even. It was like they didn't want anything to do with me. But some of them began to realize, hey, you know, that one guy, let's, well, I feel kind of sorry for him. We got to increase him over. We'll, we'll have lunch with him too. I don't know, I finally got one of them. I kind of got, and I said, you know, I'm, I go 20 miles east every, northeast every Sunday morning, go to church. You want to go with me? See what it's like? Sure, I've never been to church. That was not an eye-opener. I said, now, here's what I want you to do. I said, we're used to taking notes, and back then, most of us, you know, now we have our iPad, but we had these little, little, what do you call it, uh, these little spiral binder things that fit in your shirt pocket. You could write that stuff down so you didn't forget. I said, anything that you hear that you don't understand why it's going on, I want you to write it down so I can talk to you about it later. You know what the first thing he wrote down? He says, why do we sing songs that were written in the 1800s? <laughs> you know, this, this is 1967, Dwayne. And, and when they sing, this book you have with, they, they sing a line, skip three lines, sing the next one, skip three lines. You know, it doesn't make sense. And who is thee? It talks about thee a lot. It talks about thou a lot. Who is thee and thou? I had no clue. And as a preacher was preaching, I realized... He was not reaching this guy at all. I mean, this guy needed some illustration like Jesus. You know what Jesus did? He just used everyday illustrations. I mean, he's walking by a tree, and this tree's not producing fruit. And, and what does he do? He teaches him a lesson about it. He goes over here. He sees a farmer throwing seed, and he says, You know, isn't that neat the way a farmer can seed the field? But do you know not all that seed's going to grow the same? Because some of it's over here in the rock. Some of it's over here in the weeds. This over here in the good soil is going to do the best. You want to be sure and grow up in the good soil. 
mean, he's using illustrations that they understood. This guy was speaking Christianese or something that I even had a hard time understanding, the big words he was using. I never did invite anybody to church again. I decided I'll just talk to him myself. Because he's not religion. Little did I know, a year later, my second year, actually my junior year, middle of my junior year, I'm taking a soil science test, making straight A's. I think finally, since the fourth grade, I'm making straight A's. You look at my transcript. I found my high school transcript the other day. It had a D in it. College transcript. It had a class with a D in it. Seminary had a D in church history. I just couldn't quite grasp why am I studying what happened 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 500 years ago. I want to know what's happening right now. Yeah, so I didn't apply myself too good. But I was making straight A's. And in the middle of it, God said, I mean, just like God sat down beside me at my desk, I'm taking this test. I thought, man, I'm acing this thing. This is great. And I was used to doing things, the test tubes and all that and all that. Science, it's all science class. It's like God just sat down and talked to him and said, Dwayne, why do you want to play with soil when you can be tell, telling people about how their soul can find meaning and happiness and joy and peace, a purpose in life? I remember thinking, well, that's a good question. I wonder why I thought of that. And later I, I knew why I thought of it. God put it in my mind. The Bible says if you put God first in your life, he'll give you the desires of your heart. And my desire at that time changed from wanting to be a farmer to wanting to reach people for Jesus. I didn't know how I was going to do it because I knew there wasn't any church around that could do it. Can't take them there. How am I going to reach people for Jesus? But I knew God changed my way. So I went home, made an, told my mom and dad. I said, you know, Dad, you paid my tuition and all this all these years. Thought I was going to take over the family farm. My three sisters don't want it. But God's changed my attitude. And he wants me to reach people for Jesus. I just don't know how. I just know he wants me to reach people for Jesus. And it so helped me. It's like God had already told my dad it was going to happen. He says, well, son, you better do what God wants you to do. I said, well, what about the farm? He says, well, the farm will take care of itself. It's God's farm anyway. You better go back and learn how to, how to be a preacher or something. Well, that's a lot of learning already for somebody like me that's scared to talk of to my own shadow. And so, God knew what he was doing all the time. And so what happened? When I became a pastor, I told Ruth Ann, we've got to find a church we can get in where we can reach people that don't know Jesus and change things. The first two churches grew, but they didn't like me because... I was bringing in people that didn't, they, didn't, they weren't churchy enough. So when I went to Portage, just first thing I told the board after they got done interviewing me was this. I said, I want to know something. I know you like church done a certain way. Is it okay with you if I start a service that's not done that way that can reach lost people? So give me an idea. I said, well, you know, the music's got to be different. We're not going to sing out of hymn books. We're going to reach people that don't know a thing about Jesus. And so help me, this one guy sitting at the other end of the table looks at me and he says, Pastor, I don't care if you have to have church seven days a week to reach everybody. We got a lot of people here in Portage going to hell. I wish you could do that. And I could just about fell on the floor. 
because I thought, well, I wish I could have that in writing. I said, did you all hear just what he said? Do you agree with it or disagree? There were 17 people there. And so I began to change things. And uh, we began to reach lost people for Jesus. Because God gave me a vision to reach. Now, I was uncertain how it was going to work. In fact, number two in your notes just simply says this. Vision and uncertainty are inseparably linked. God gave me the vision, but I wasn't for certain. How on earth is this going to work? And finally, God began to turn the light on and show us just enough to, ha-ha, so that's what you want me to do. I think, do you think David knew when he was tending his father's sheep out in the wilderness that one day he's going to fight Goliath and become famous? Do you think David knew he'd be playing his harp for the king of the nation, Saul, when he's not feeling good? Do you think he knew that him and David would become best friends with Jonathan, Saul's son, who's supposed to, supposed to be the next king because he's his son? Instead, David was going to be. Do you, you think David knew that he would have to hide from Saul because Saul's going to want to kill him? Do you think David even knew he was going to be the king of Israel? He didn't know all this. He was very uncertain about what was going on. I mean, I'd, I'll never forget. I used to run a lot, and, and uh, it was just a good way to get rid of stress and get away from people because we had a lot of people that were coming to church and a lot of people, everybody had problems because they were people of the world. And, and um, so I went in every morning just to, just to clear my head and to listen to God. And one day while I'm running, it hits me. They're building houses all over out here in the country. Ruth and I couldn't afford a house in town, so we bought a house out in the country. And we should be starting another church. I'm one building in one location. What happened if, we'd be, if we could add a church here, there, there, there? God gave me a vision of wanting to start a church. And so it just so happened, I'd got a thing in the mail the week before about church planners and what to do. So I went to the, Ruth and I both went to the uh, seminar, paid our money, went to it. And Ruth began to agree because I never, I, I was very blessed that God gave me a spouse who loved God and a spouse that was uh, sometimes a step ahead of me, but just wouldn't tell me. That's why I've been married to her for 53 years. She's very wise at that. Wants me to think it's my idea when I find out later it was actually her all along. I said, Ruth, maybe we should start another church. I don't know if we should do it or somebody else should. I kind of think I want to stay where I'm at and help start another church. Find somebody that thinks kind of like I do. And so my son happened to be in seminary at that time, so I called him up. I said, hey, Rich, this is your dad. I'm just wondering, do you know anybody in seminary that's interested in starting a new church? Because we're thinking, your mom and I are thinking about seeing if maybe we could do that with our church. Interesting you should ask. Just last weekend, Stacy and I went to a thing, and they said we could start a new church if we had somebody to help us. We wouldn't be any good going by ourselves and trying to get it out of the rock, but if we had some people to help us, we could do it. I said, well, hey, let me pray about that, and you pray about it. But he says, you know, we, we don't want to go to someplace like northwest Indiana. We want to go to Chicago or somewhere where there's a lot of people. Thank God he didn't go to Chicago. But anyway. We both prayed about it for three days, called him up. Yeah, I think we'd be interested. I said, good. 
said, here's what we'll do. I'm going to hire you when you graduate in three months. I'm going to hire you to be one of my associate pastors. And during while you're there, you pick out the best people you can find from my church. And you can take them with you. And he did. He actually did what I told him. He took one of my best people <laughs> to help start a church called Living Hope. Now, some of them were SWAT team members. And this was all Richard. Servants, willing, and temporary. He got people who signed up for three months. Some who signed up to help start a church for six months. Some for a year. This church was built on vision. A man by the name of Dan came to church, and he was a steel mill worker, and steel mill workers weren't the, uh, you know, uh, anyway, steel mill workers. You've been around them. He was hungry. Him and his wife had had a couple of kids. And one of our steel mill workers had come to church, invited him to come to church. And by the way, the church grew not because of me. It grew because my people started inviting people. I said, man, you got to go where I went. You can find help. And so Dan came. He opened his life to God. Him and his wife had another baby. And then they decided, we're going to sign up for a year to help your son. Oh, wait a minute. Okay. What do I know? This church was only about five years old, and Dan and his wife and four or five kids by now got the vision to start a new church. They heard that the northwest part of America has the least churches of anyone, and they just felt like God was telling them, you need to go to Washington. That's as far northwest as you can go. And this church paid for them to help start a new church in Kennewick, Washington. The Story Point Church, it's still going today. Dan's still there as their pastor. See, this church had a vision, and it hasn't died yet. I mean, who knew that somebody's going to say, you know, we ought to help with Habitat Humanity Houses. Sam, of all people, said, you know, this church ought to get behind that. I'm thinking, what do you mean get behind us? We can hardly make it now. And lo and behold, we raise thousands of dollars every year for Habitat for Humanity because of one person's vision. Or every Wednesday, we have a group of people come that really need help. And another Sam. Or maybe it's Samantha or something. I don't know. They just say, call me Sam. Sam over here starts the Wednesday night thing. She said, you know, we could do more if we could do something in the evening. Well, Friday night, the church is always empty. Friday nights now, she'll have every one of these tables full and some of the chairs with people who have are in support groups and other things, and she even feeds them. I always thought, man, if I could feed people, they'd come to church. And she's helping them because of a vision that none of us had. And then we're helping homeless people here. You've seen them for weeks. They're cold. They have no place to go. So Sunday morning, they're going to come in and at least stay inside where they can stay warm. We saw them. And guess what happened? God gives Mitch a vision over here. We're going to do something for a homeless shelter. This city needs a homeless shelter. Sure enough, he gets the ball rolling. He's already got the city's permission and support and all kinds of stuff, and it's going to be happening because he had a vision. See, I don't care what the vision is, folks. When God gives you a vision, use it. I'll just give you another one. Ruth and I are up on a mountain in the Smoky Mountains seven years ago. We can't even call anybody in because we went on this half-mile hike uphill to see a beautiful waterfall. 
There's no cell phone stuff. It's just in the Smokies. They don't care about cell phones out there, and they don't care about Wi-Fi. And I'm saying, you know, Ruth, I'm going to be 70 in a couple of years, and we've got this camper, and I know you like to go camping, but I don't want to be pulling a camper around all the time, you know. Probably by another four or five years, we ought to sell that thing, start staying in a motel like normal people. Oh, she says, I don't know, man. She says, I, you know I love to go camping. I said, well, let's think about it. We get about a third of the way down the mountain. My phone dings. I got a text from Rich and Stacy. How would you like to be grandparents to twins? I thought, what is this? I try to send something. I can't send anything, but I got something. I said, Ruth, we got to get down the mountain and find out what's going on. Sure enough, they're going to have kids. I said, I guess I'll be pulling this camper around until I'm 80. Because all these grandkids want to go camping. And then it hit us. We got a great opportunity here to have a part in these kids' lives. Just like our other grandkids, only this could be on a weekly basis. Ruth Ann started babysitting, and once when they were about six months old, we kept them overnight, and by the next morning, we were exhausted. I said, I didn't know twins could be so tiring. <laughs> I said, we ought to take them one night a week just so Stacy and Rich can get a rest. That was the original vision God gave me. Just, just keep them. But guess what? They were in um, uh, a neat spot close to uh, San Francisco. What's the name of that mountain where they had all the snow and they have the great waterfalls? It starts with a T. I can't remember the name of it. Some national park. And then they went to the Redwoods. And I get a text last night from Mitch. Is there any way you guys can keep them again this next Friday night, even though there's no school? They're just begging to come to your house. So you're out there in the middle of the most gorgeous stuff you've been sending me pictures of, and they want to come to Grandma and Grandpa's house. Do you know why? When they come to our house, we teach them everything we've taught our kids. Discipline. But we teach them from nature. We're out in the country where we see geese and ducks and cranes and swans and all kinds of stuff behind our house. And, and we can teach them, and we've been teaching them about God and creation and all the rest. And they are always hungry to learn a little more. That's one of the visions God gave Ruth. We can have a great input into these boys' lives. Even if it's just one night a week. Now think about it. Three quick things we got to get done. Three quick things. Here we are. Oh, do we ever? What are the three quick things? Oh, here we are. First of all, diesel, diesel down vision vandals. There's always going to be people said, you can't do that. And sure enough, it says there, David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard him talking with the soldiers, and he's angry with him. He says, what are you doing this for anyway? He's saying, you know, who's taking care of the sheep? And Jesus tells us in John 10, 10, then, you know, it said a thief comes to rob and kill and destroy. And he really will. A thief, let's put that next one up. A thief will come to rob you of that vision. Try to steal it away from you. Destroy what God wants you to do. Happens all the time. Don't fall for it. It's a thief. Here's a thing you think you knew. You need to recognize resources. There are resources. There really is. And great visionaries have the, have the ability to recognize their resources. And what David did, uh, you got scripture in there that says Saul had his own military clothes, put armor, put on David, and all that. And David, I can't do it. 
So what'd he do? The last screen will tell you that he just took up his slingshot and some, song, and some stones. Now here's what I want you to fill in the next blank. Great leaders are great eliminators. Great leaders are great eliminators. Man, I tell you, you can't do it all. You got to learn to say no to some things. So you can keep your eyes on the vision. And Paul tells us, just put on the armor that God gives you so you can defend yourself against the devil's tricks. Because the devil's going to do his best to get you off base. The next thing you do is you value victories. Because when you value victories, guess what? What's the first thing that, that David told him in their notes there? He says, your majesty, I took care of my father's sheep, and one of them is dragged off by a lion or bear. I go after them and beat it until the animal lets the sheep go. So in other words, he's talking about, hey, man, I, 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 I'm, I'm victorious on this. I can be victory over them. I can do victory over Goliath. And you can read the rest of that scripture on your own. The next thing you want to do, well, in fact, here's something kind of squeamish. That's in there. You can see that verse of scripture in there where it says, David took Goliath's head to Jerusalem, and he kept Goliath's weapons in in his own tent. That's what he did. You know why? You need to keep victories. My very first church Ruth and I went to, they were going to close. They had six people. When we left two years later, they were running 90 people. I got a thing here with over 60 names and a verse of scripture that a guy, a wood burner, put on there that says, I can do all things through Christ. He gives me the strength. I kept this on my desk from that day on to remind myself of a victory. A church they were going to close, they didn't. Because Ruth and I followed the vision and went there. And helped opened it up and kept it going. You see, you need, to, you need to value victory. You need to keep things. Write things. Write down answers to prayer so you don't forget them. And number four is this. Vision is a contagious commodity. We know how contagious COVID is. Well, guess what? You get, you get, you get a vision. And you start doing something, and man, there's no telling where God's going to take you. And so David defeats Goliath, and you know what happened? All these soldiers that are quaking in their boots, it says up there in your notes and also up on the screen that the soldiers of Israel, what did they do? What did these guys do that were quaking? They let out a battle cry and went after them as far as Gath and Ech. In other words, they went over 30 miles and just destroyed the other army because they were getting rid of their army and all that. They had to run up their hell to get away. They got them. Vision is contagious. It can affect your neighborhood. It can affect the city. It can, t- I mean, the, you know, Habitat for humidity's, uh, Humanity is affecting the city of Valparaiso. The homeless shelter is what Sam's doing over here on th- Wednesday and Friday night. It's affecting people. So here's the last thing you need to fill in is this. David saw the unseen because David was a man of vision, the kind of person God wants us to be as well. Let's talk to God. Now, dear Father, in just a few minutes, we're going to be leaving this place. Give us the ability to walk in your footsteps and to follow the vision you have for our life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to ask Jason to come up and uh, the choir and for the singers to come up. Let's hear it for Pastor Duane, huh? Thank you so much.
I didn't know exactly all of that about how the church started. That's super cool. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so I have to take my glasses off to read things now. Isn't that terrible? My goodness. The praise team is coming to make their way back up here, and we're going to celebrate communion this morning. The way we do that around here is we come forward, we take bread, we have pita bread or gluten-free bread, we dip the bread in the juice and return back to our seats. Or if you are more comfortable, we have communion at the tables. Either way, we are reminded that Christ died for us. All are welcome that are saying yes to Jesus.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>